Insiders, welcome to episode 10 of Inside Indie Media Weekly with Kim Williams, the show where we go in depth with our contributors, authors, listeners. I am Kim Williams, the proprietor of IndieMediaWeekly.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in this week. I want to start things off by saying thank you to Peggy and Janet from last week's show where we had a chat about meditation. It was awesome. Lots of great feedback from everybody about that. Thank you so much, Janet and Peggy. You guys are wonderful. Be sure and visit Janet at Ready to Fight for Liberals and Justice Facebook group and Peggy at BeYourOwnBestSelf.com. For more on those guys and what they're doing, check those sites out. And I appreciate you guys being on the show. It was a wonderful time chatting with y'all about meditation. And I hope to have more on consciousness and meditation coming up very soon in future seasons of Inside Indie Media Weekly. This is show number 10. I've done two sets of five, this being the fifth of the second set, which is working out pretty well for something akin to, I guess, a season for the show, having five shows and then taking some time off to work on other projects and getting five more shows ready. So that seems to work out pretty well. So I'm going to call a season for Inside Indie Media Weekly five shows. And then I'm going to replay the previous five shows while I work on other projects because we are trying to bring you more content here at Indie Media Weekly Radio. And that's one of the things that I do as well, is to help people get shows started and get them produced. And um, I enjoy that a great deal. So one of the ones we've got coming up is The Spoken Doorway with Michael S. Sharbaugh. That maybe in the next three weeks or so, we had a wonderful chat with Liam J. Boyle, who is a fantastic musician that Michael has featured on the Broken Doorway numerous times. He was our first person of interest on the Spoken Doorway, and that show is done and ready to go. And uh, we're going to get a couple more wrapped up. Speaking of which, uh, Jill and Richard from Meter Bridge, you're going to hear them tonight on Inside Indie Media Weekly, two tracks off of their awesome album, Slow Motion. I'll tell you how to pick that up a little bit later. But uh, yeah, they're the featured musical artist tonight, two tracks from them. But that's the tie-in, is that they have also been featured on The Broken Doorway with Michael S. Sharbaugh numerous times, because they're kind of regulars now, I guess, on The Broken Doorway. So we'll be expanding The Broken Doorway into another show called The Spoken Doorway, and Jill and Richard will be our next guests for that, and uh, we'll be taping that very soon. So look for that show, The Spoken Doorway, with Michael S. Sharbaugh coming up probably within the next three to four weeks, but we'll keep you updated on that. And you should follow us on Twitter at Indie Media Week and also on Facebook at Indie Media Weekly so you'll get the updates about when these shows are going to start, how to listen to them, where they're going to be, time slots, that kind of thing. And, of course, you can always check out IndieMediaWeekly.com as well. The broadcast schedule in the left sidebar, very prominent. You can't miss it. Click on that and go check out all of our awesome shows and the times they're on, as well as links back to the show hosts right there on IndieMediaWeekly.com. And my guest for the conversation today is Leslie Boyd. She's the president, founder of Western North Carolina Health Advocates at WNCHealthAdvocates.org and also blogging from LettersFromTheLeft.com. Leslie is a fearless healthcare warrior and a Moral Monday veteran who has marched many times with the Reverend William J. Barber. And we'll talk about all of that 
as well as her work and her experiences with the Moral Monday movement and healthcare in general, coming up shortly. In the interest of time this evening, because um, I took uh, quite some time editing the conversation with Leslie, we had some pretty significant audio issues in the first 15 minutes of our chat, but our chat was wonderful. She was wonderful. And so I spent a few hours today trying to make some corrections on that audio. And I think, I think it's okay. It's not the greatest, but I think if you'll bear with us through the first 15 minutes, it gets better after that, after we stopped the uh, recording and made some adjustments. So it's much, much better after that. So just saying that, I hope you will bear with us through the first part because it's totally worth it. And I'll have that conversation with Leslie coming up right after we hear from Jill and Richard from Meter Bridge with their new single called Filter. It's off their slow motion album, which I picked up today in its entirety at their Bandcamp page, meterbridge.bandcamp.com. And of course, the links will be in the show notes for episode 10. So you can find them there forever. But Filter is a great tune. And I'm going to tell you what it's about straight from Jill. She sent me a little message today when I asked her to kind of give me a little background on these two tracks we're going to play for you after we hear it. From Broken Doorway with Michael S. Sharbaugh, featured artist, and now in the rotation at Indie Media Weekly, the entire album, Slow Motion, we bring you Filter from Meter Bridge off of Slow Motion.
Oh, yeah. Is that a great tune or what? I love that song. And all of the tracks off of Slow Motion are fantastic. You really should pick that up. From Jill and Richard, collectively, Meter Bridge at meterbridge.bandcamp.com. So here's what Jill has to say about the track Filter when I asked her, what was this tune about? She says, Filter is about oppression and survival, a story about persecution of spiritual and racial groups. It's a combination of scenes from Jill's ancestral history. So then I asked, what ancestral history is that? Her response is, Mitis, I hope that I'm pronouncing that right, Cree and French. Du Cobor, I really hope I'm pronouncing that right too, persecuted Russian pacifist sect. Wow, I need to know more about that. So immediately, I invited her to be a guest on Inside Any Media Weekly, and Richard too, of course, to come and talk about that connection, about the music filter. That's amazing. So, coming up for air, we'll be playing that after the conversation, another track off of Slow Motion from Meter Bridge. So stay tuned for that. So coming up next, my conversation with Leslie Boyd, president and founder of Western North Carolina Health Advocates, Moral Monday Warrior, former journalist, now blogger at lettersfromtheleft.com, right after this. This is Adam Hebert, a man with breathtaking anger management issues. And I hope that you will listen to my program, Mike Check Radio with Adam Hebert, live every Saturday night, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Fuck yeah! Every week on Mike Check Radio, me and my co-hosts, Rob Poole and Kenny Pegg, will talk about the week's news with righteous indignation, facts, and a large dose of comedy. Inconceivable! Join us as we try to answer the question of just how many Republican douchebags there are in Washington, D.C. It's over 9,000! <laughs> We'll also crown our assholes of the week during our program. You are the leading asshole in the state. Finally on our show, we'll also talk about the latest in news from video games, comic books, film, science, anime, and manga. All for your entertainment and learning pleasure. Well, that sounds really shallow and stupid. Let's try it. Don't forget, that's Mike Check Radio with Adam Hebert, live every Saturday night, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, and only here on Indie Media Weekly Radio. For those who dare. Oh, and Cranker demands that you listen to our program. <laughs> you are crazier than a crap fight in a monkey house. Be sure to check out Turn Up the Night with Kenny Pick live every Tuesday and Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Indie Media Weekly. Join me and my magnificent co-hosts, Tom, Deva, Matt, and Pete for news, opinion, and guaranteed laughs every single show. You can find us at KennyPick.com or by going to IndieMediaWeekly.com and clicking on the tab for Turn Up the Night with Kenny Pick. There you'll find our chat and audio feeds. But wait, you're already hearing this, so that's awesome. You know how to listen to Indie Media Weekly. So don't change that dial. Turn up the night with Kenny Pick live every Tuesday and Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Indie Media Weekly for those who dare. Welcome back to Inside Indie Media Weekly with Kim Williams. And joining me now for the conversation is Leslie Boyd, founder and president of Western North Carolina Health Advocates, a former journalist with the Asheville Citizen Times and other publications, a Moral Monday warrior and person who was there at the very beginning alongside the amazing Reverend Dr. William J. Barber. We're going to talk about him because they're friends and 
also blogging at lettersfromtheleft.com, Leslie Boyd. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Well, hey, Kim. Thank you. Well, listen, man, you are a very busy, busy woman. First of all, let's talk about your foundation, your nonprofit that you started, and why you started that, Western North Carolina Health Advocates. Tell us about it. Well, we do advocacy, education, and support. Right now, it's a very small nonprofit, and we're working with other nonprofits to try, at this point, and expand Medicaid. There is a day of action tomorrow. There'll be press conferences across the state talking about why we need Medicaid expansion and why it needs to happen right now. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, we'll probably be hearing this after that fact, but people can go to Western North Carolina Health Advocates to keep up with all right. of the actions that are upcoming, correct? It's WNCHealthAdvocates.org. Okay. You have a Facebook page people can like as yes, well? Yes, we also have a Facebook page and we'd love you to like it. Fantastic. We'll put those links in the show notes for this episode of Inside the Media Weekly so that people can go there and uh, always have it at their disposal because this is something that you and I have talked about quite a bit. Tell us about the inspiration behind this. Well, the inspiration was my son, Michael, who was born on my 22nd birthday, November 3rd, 1974, and he had a birth defect. And so because of the birth defect, he could not get insurance. Without insurance, he could not find a doctor who would do the screening tests that he needed. He was very, very vulnerable to colon cancer, had a one in four chance of getting it, and he could not get a doctor who would do the colonoscopy and then let him pay it off. So he died from colon cancer. He died from neglect. Yeah. And as it's happening now, of course, that was way back before the uh, It was before the Affordable Affordable Care Care Act. Act. And I lobbied very heavily for that. I was in Washington a number of times to talk to people, talk to the press. Uh, I was on the Ed Schultz show. I was on ABC World News Tonight. Just telling his story and trying to show people that People who need care are not bums, they're not lazy, they're not takers, they're people who need health care, and that's all there is to it, and they should have it. Yes. You are one of the most tireless advocates I know for for looking for that, and, and we want to get into that a little bit more, but I want to, I want to talk a little bit about with ACA, and that's wonderful, and we're all very, very excited about that. But I'm concerned, and I want to hear what your perspective is. I mean, I personally feel like we needed universal health care, and we didn't need insurance companies still in this in this game for profit, which they are. They and, are, and, and I'm not happy about that either. No, in recent developments, since the Supreme Court didn't strike down Obamacare, quote-unquote, yes, now insurance companies have decided that, okay, well, this is here to stay, and let's move on this market, because really, really, your health, your health care is just a market. To insurance companies. You're just a commodity to be made money off of. And what do you think about this move to um, to consolidate and kind of make just a couple of giant insurance companies in control of this? I'd love to see that stopped right now. When you get just a couple of big insurance companies, they're too big to fail, just like the banks. They can dictate to Congress just what they want, and they'll get it, just like the banks. It's too much power in the hands of too few people. And it's also very inefficient. I know people think that government is inefficient, but Medicare spends 97% of the money it takes in on direct services, whereas insurance companies have had to be mandated to spend 80%. That other, what is it, 17%, 16% is, is going to salaries, to advertising, to lobbying, to um, 
CEOs. Well, not just salaries. I'm talking about big, big salaries. Yeah, CEOs. Yeah, CEOs, bonuses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you make something for profit, you have to take that existing pot of money, that big pie, and take a piece out of it before you ever take care of anyone for profit. Mm -hmm. And profit is just a waste when it comes to things like health care. I mean, health care should not be for profit. The free market or the market as it is, has no heart and no conscience. And that's okay if you're selling widgets, not okay if you're selling people's lives. Yeah, I come from the corporate healthcare environment. I feel like I was kind of at ground zero when all of this really started to happen. And I saw the effects of what can happen when insurance companies in it for the money come into a market that was once interested in, in providing healthcare in a cost efficient manner and paying the people, the healthcare providers, you know, a fair and decent salary, but people weren't people weren't making a killing, excuse the pun, off of healthcare. And now that is kind of the point. That and, is the point. It's and it's all disgusting. About and, it's disgusting. And, and people say, well how you've got to have a profit because you've got to pay people. No, no. You can pay people a great salary in a nonprofit model. Yes, well, I have to remind you that Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina is a nonprofit model. Oh, are they? Are they? Yes. And and how is that working out? Um, you know, they're able to shuffle the cards so that they're making the maximum allowable profit, which I'm not sure, but I think it's six percent for I know it's six percent for hospitals. I don't know what it is. And and mission is a nonprofit. Well, the hospitals themselves, I mean, coming from the background I do, I worked on the They're provider side. No, the provider side struggles along with all the rest of us to get paid. And then you have to remember that the provider side, whenever anybody comes up for a solution, with a solution for this, they're saying, well, why can't hospitals and other providers, doctors, nurse practitioners, donate their care? Well, you know what? <laughs> when you come out of school with a million dollars in debt, you're not, in, you're not in a position to donate anything. Yeah. And yet people always put it on the doctors. Look at our, our model here in Buncombe County, North Carolina, is um, Project Access, in which doctors, hospitals, clinics, and other providers donate the care that's needed. Now, you can't, that's not a sustainable model. Well, no. Like you said, we're not talking about having healthcare providers and, and healthcare facilities give people healthcare. We're not talking about that at all. Well, we're yet, talking, that's what they're doing. Well, that's a that is a that is a bullshit way to distract Indeed from the, from from the real problem, which is insurance companies being for profit in the first place. Now they can call themselves non for profit, but they're for profit. Uh, yeah, yeah. I you mean, know, um, yeah. Uh, several years ago, it's been five years now, five and a half years. My husband had a bad EKG, and his doctor said, "We need to get you in immediately. I mean, right now for for a cardiac stress test." And our insurance company made him wait two days for pre authorization. <laughs> and he came so close to death that he, had he not been in the hands of an extremely skilled and experienced heart surgeon, he would not have made it. Wow. And that was because they made him wait two days. Yeah. Well, I know so, for me, I mean, I, I had to leave. I had to leave the industry because I just, the things that I saw happen in the name of making a profit 
you know, uh, emergency let rooms. Let me put to rest immediately the myth that the emergency room is any kind of solution. It, well, for one thing, you know, they're mandated to look at you. They are not mandated to find out what's wrong with you. They are only mandated to figure out how they can stabilize you. And once you're stable, you're gone. My son with, you know, a malignant tumor that was blocking his colon went home with, he went three times. One time he went home with an antibiotic. The next time he went home with a laxative. The next time he went home with pain pills and a bill all three times. Mm-hmm. And it was a malignant tumor yeah. that was causing him the abdominal pain. So, no, it, he wasn't just constipated. By the time he was admitted to the hospital, he was vomiting fecal matter and his organs were shutting down. He was hours from death before they would do anything for him. And then they kept him alive for 37 months after that so that he could be, you know, denied disability while these insurance company executives are raking in billions. And he was... Um, he had to leave his wife to get Medicaid, but you can bet that the million dollars that was spent on his care in those 37 months went into the pockets of mostly pharmaceutical company people. Yeah. Two and a half rounds of chemo cost over a half million dollars. Wow. It's just, so, it's just unconscionable, really. Yeah, way unconscionable. And, and the people that are running this system, that's why I was... I mean, I was glad for the Affordable Care Act, but knowing that the insurance companies were so involved in writing that bill, so involved in executing its implementation. And the pharmaceutical companies, Exactly, too. exactly. I just, I, I just, at that time, I just had a terrible feeling that one day they were going to have their tentacles all through this, and it was not going to be the thing that we really needed. It's not going to be. We're going to have to get to single payer. And I'm not sure how we're going to get there, but we have to get there. Well, that's one reason why it's incredibly important that people understand what's at stake now and what's left of our electoral process after Citizens United. We all have to be there. We all have to show up this time. This time it's it's for all the marbles, in my opinion. Yes. And we have to elect people who will vote to um, rescind that Citizens United. If we have to do a constitutional amendment, then we have to do a constitutional amendment. Yeah, exactly. Well, and we need to elect people who will do that. Fan- yeah, well, uh, exactly. And it's hard when you're so gerrymandered, but you know, in Buncombe County, Tim Moffat's district was gerrymandered to be as Republican as it could be, and you know, he was so offensive that we were able to get him out of there. But we've got to do that across the state. Yeah, and it's it's happening in so many states, like uh, yeah, even in the state of Texas, where I'm from. They've gone completely. Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, they're they think they're being invaded, so I don't even know know, what to say. I was just reading some more about that. (laughs) I don't even. You've got that element here in North Carolina too. It's everywhere. That is true. It's just it's louder, I think, in Texas. (laughs) Yeah. But because Texans tend to be, you know, loud and out up front with who they are. Identity. Yes, exactly. Well, listen, I want to talk about activism as well because it's something that. I very much admire you for is your efforts with the Moral Monday movement. And of course, that's a phenomenon that people are hearing about all across the country. It's spreading across the country. And it originated right here in North Carolina. And you are one of the first people that were involved. Several years ago with HK on J, which stands for Historic Thousands on Jones Street, which was an annual rally 
to bring up issues that needed addressing. And it, it's a coalition of groups of which Wincha is one that really believe we need to work together on these issues. Um, a, a reporter asked me last year why I, as a healthcare advocate, would want to what he called dilute my issue with, um, you know, joining in this group. Well, this group, Moral Monday, started because politicians used to sit down and talk to us and listen to us. As soon as this Republican majority hit the North Carolina legislature, they refused to meet with us. They would not see us. I've been arrested twice, both times while in the legislature building trying to talk to legislative leaders and trying to explain to them how people are dying every day. And that's true in North Carolina because we won't expand Medicaid. Uh, five to seven people die every single day. So when um, in 2013, Reverend Barber and a few others and I went to deliver some letters to Tom Tillis, and he wouldn't—he not only wouldn't see us as soon as Reverend Barber walked in the front door, he burst out the back door of his office, purple with rage, and called to two other people who were with him and said, let's move, and literally ran down the hall <laughs> to get away from us. Uh. And that is not the footage you see of him running away. This was another time. Uh. And Reverend Barber came back, and this was in March of 2013. And Reverend Barber came back out, and he looked at me, and he said, I guess we're going to have to do direct action. And I said, well, let me know. Well, on April 29th, he and 16 others were arrested. The next week, um, 20-some were arrested. The third week when I was arrested, there were 49 of us. In all, in the first two years, more than a 1,000 people were arrested. And we've had another several dozen this year. Mm. So hey, they're me... not giving up, but we're not either. I hope you've been enjoying my conversation with Leslie Boyd of WNCHealthAdvocates.org. I have just been amazed by her ever since I met her several years ago in the activist community here in Asheville, North Carolina. And I love to catch up with her every now and again and find out what she's been up to. Find out more about that coming up after these messages. We've got the rest of my conversation with Leslie and then another tune from Meter Bridge coming up for air off of slow motion from Meter Bridge at meterbridge.bandcamp.com. Stay tuned. Come, come walk with me, Michael Sharball, through the broken doorway where you will discover the freshest in pop, rock, psychedelic, ambient, and experimental musics. 11 a.m. Saturdays and Wednesdays, and only on IndieMediaWeekly.com. Don't miss Musical Mayhem with Lauren Mayer. Topical comedy songs and commentary from your friendly local humorist, songwriter, and opinionated Jewish mother. You can catch the show right here on Indie Media Weekly on Mondays and Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m., Thursdays at 8 p.m., right after the Tim Cormall Show. You can catch my weekly comedy videos on my YouTube channel, Psycho Supermom, and order CDs through most major retailers as well as my website, laurenmayer.com. So join us for Musical Mayhem, where music, politics, and comedy intersect. So new? So tell me 
you about Reverend Barber. He's like a phenomenon, a national phenomenon now. He's on national TV. He seems like a, a very powerful man and a force for change in our time. He really tell us, is. Tell us about him. He was him. raised um, in the civil rights movement. His parents moved. I think one of his parents was from North Carolina. I think his mother was. And they were living outside the state and they moved back in so they could work on civil rights here. Um, he's 51, maybe 52 years old. He's um, He was just raised to be a believer that God will make change if we work towards it, that it's kind of a God helps those who help themselves thing, but we have to work for change. And he's one who really, really believes in this work. And he's also a man with a fabulous sense of humor, a fierce love for his family. He's got a great family. He's got five kids and they're terrific. They're just, and, and, um, they do work in the movement. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, his, they're just, they're great kids. His wife is totally devoted to this. The whole family is in this together. He's just someone who has a belief that we can do this, and that belief translates into action, and he's a natural leader. And that's the whole thing. If you see him speaking for the press at an event, you will rarely see him speaking by himself. He surrounds himself with people. Mm-hmm. And if he's going to do an interview, he's going to, especially in front of the cameras, he will ask people to stand with him. Oh. And he he insists on a diverse crowd of people to stand with him. This is not a movement for black people or healthcare people or political people or this is a movement for everyone and every issue. And I've had people ask me, you know, why would you as a one issue person be involved with this that that would so-called what they called water down your issue and my answer is um, it's not watering down my issue it's giving strength to my voice by adding it to all the others because society is a tapestry and if you if you just pull one thread and fix it well it's not going to it's not going to work it all has to work together and so I'm working with people who are passionate about education and voting rights I'm I'm passionate about these issues too Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, that's part of our problem. Wow, how we got to where we are, in my opinion, is this idea that everything is separate when everything is most definitely not separate. Yeah. It's well, all it was connected. a divide and conquer strategy. Oh, and it worked beautifully. It did. It did. It certainly did because, well, you need to be worried about your stuff. You know, they're coming exactly. for your stuff, and you can't be worried about your neighbor because what about yourself? And I can't look over at the education people and and be jealous when they have the spotlight today because next week it's going to be on voting rights and the week after that it's going to be about health care. And so all of these issues uh, are equally important. You can't fix the justice system and not fix minimum wage. Right. It has to be a living wage. You know, you, you can't just fix one piece. Exactly. The fact that it's such a diverse coalition, I mean, that's that's really central to Dr. Barber's message is that it is all connected. And I think it's when Occupy started in New York a few years ago, that was I think it was the same week I started my first podcast. And then that hit. And we were all we were all and you were a part of that. You were yeah, on to talk. I was with in Washington then. with Margaret Flowers. Yes. And we talked to we talked to her and, and everyone was really excited because we felt like we felt the ground starting to shake. You know, there, right. there was a movement coming and Occupy kind of kicked things off. And then, you know, it, it, 
it 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 lived its life and it did what it did and people said oh well it's over it's gone it's over but well, it raised just, awareness which exactly was essential it was never gone and it's still not gone because no. it lives on in the moral monday movement because we're occupying the the legislature building we're getting arrested for it but we're occupying our space in raleigh and informing people of all of these issues occupy was a very diverse but not incredibly organized movement well it was the start and it's it the was. start it things was are so always important. crazy and not and not organized and and what you guys have done to develop this idea of this movement into moral monday is uh great work great work well you know i can remember coming back from those first ones and you know standing up in church and saying i've been arrested this is why and people in my church saying how do i get involved because you know traveling to raleigh i mean I've been, I would say, a hundred times easily. And that's no easy trip from where you are. That's a long trip. It's four hours. Yeah. That, and, and, and to devote that much time and travel to go do something like this, that's just, uh, that's a deep, deep commitment. Well, somebody, we have to make this commitment or we're not going to get the change we need. And without the change we need, we are going to have a permanent underclass and incredible income disparity and... People's lives matter less and less every year, it seems to me. When somebody says, to, when somebody with money says to me, I don't want my money to go to pay somebody <sighs> else's health care. Wow. I know. I hate that one. And I, I like to say, well, you know, especially if they're Christian, I like to say, can you show me where Jesus said, <laughs> I got mine, get your own? I'd like to see that. I haven't been able to find it yet. Yeah. I have, uh, uh, I have family that tends to think along those lines, you know. I worked my whole life, and I, I, I have worked, and I worked, so they should work too. And I'm like, yes, well, that you would had be great. Opportunity, they don't, and they would like to work, but but the jobs are gone, and the jobs that that replaced them are low wage jobs that you can't survive on. Right, and my son works for Home Depot. He he left a good paying job because it was shift work, and it was really really detrimental to his health. And because he could not get off shift shift work, he had to leave the job for his health. So now he's got two part time jobs, and the only reason Home Depot isn't a full time job is because they don't want to pay insurance for people. And he said to me, you know, they can't afford to do it. And I said, that's a load of crap. They can afford to do it. They just won't afford to do it. He said, you know, I have every other benefit except health insurance. And I said, well, they could afford to pay health insurance, but they're not paying health insurance. So that's I have right. no sympathy. No, I, no, I don't either. And companies like that come into, come into markets and they take out local or smaller businesses that provide the same services. And, and health care. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're forced to shop there because you really can't get what you need anywhere else. There are else. no small hardware stores anymore. You know, well, there, there are a few, few here and there, but there are very few. Right. Which means that, that you have to make a conscious effort because it's just so damn easy yeah. to go to the other big box store. You know, and when you're left with no alternative to the big box store, then that's then where you, you go. Yeah, you have to go there then. And so. I make, I always make an effort to shop locally, but when it comes to building supplies and home repair stuff, 
Um, but I, you know, I just, it, it's so frustrating to hear, to, to, for people to think that there's no way they can change this. They can't change things. And no, you can't alone. I can't change anything by myself. You know, people always say to me, oh, I love the work you're doing. You're making a difference. I'm making a difference, you know, it, with thousands of other people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I stood in Raleigh by myself, it would mean nothing. But because I stand in Raleigh with thousands of other people, we are heard because we're raising our voices together. Well, listen, that brings up my next question. I wanted you to tell me about some, tell me about some of the diverse groups, because I know I want to let people know that they can follow you at, uh, we want to talk about lettersfromtheleft.com as well, which is your, your blog, but also right. on Facebook is Letters from the Left. Right. And please, please like that page because that's where you can see all the pictures. You can keep up with all the Moral Monday goings on, all the stuff that Leslie's doing there. And there are lots of shots from the different diverse groups that are at Moral Monday you might yes. want to know about. Tell us yeah. about some of those that uh, that you work with. Oh, I just, I love so many of them. Um, the Unitarian, the Universalist Unitarians, the UUs, are there every time with their big orange banner and their orange t-shirts that say standing on the side of love. Um, there's groups of um, gay and, you know, LGBTQ students. There's Jews for Justice. There's an immense number of people of faith. And, and because... As Reverend Barber says, these are not just issues. These are moral issues. And we are, although, you know, there is a large number of people of faith in this movement, there's a huge number also of people who are not people of faith, people who are atheists, who are agnostics, who are not affiliated with any faith, who have their own faith, um, even pagans, you know. It's, it's a wonderful thing when we call to whatever it is we worship, whatever it is that gives us our sense of morality, we call together. Well, I'm looking at your letters from the left page on Facebook and the huge photo album you have. Yeah, that uh, was from just this past Monday. Tell me about the Raging Grannies. They look formidable. I love the Raging Grannies. They, they look formidable. They are formidable. And the Asheville group, which was the Green Grannies, when we had our first Moral Monday here, and we had 10,000 people, um, Tim Moffat came, and I think he thought he was going to get on stage. And <laughs> so he stood at the back of the stage and... Um, Kojo Nantambu, who is the um, security guy, uh, also a reverend, um, called me and said, would you just stand back here and make sure he doesn't get up? And the grannies got between me and Moffat, and they just stood there, and he was not getting past them no matter what. Nice. And I loved that. Being a, a grandmother and a great-grandmother myself, I just loved that. You know, go ahead, try and get through us. <laughs> you may be young, but you know, we have a strength that you can't compete with. That is and fantastic. The music and the fortitude. One of the grannies, Granny Ruth, um, was arrested the first week this year and she's she's gotta be into her late eighties, if not ninety. And it's just it's so wonderful to see these women. One of the uh, plaintiffs in the voting rights case is ninety four year old Rosanelle Eaton. Yes, I've heard of her. Tell us about her. Well, she fought the first time around, you know. She oh, was yeah. she was an activist in the 60s and wow. in the 50s. And this came around again, and she said, well, I guess I have to do this again. And she was arrested in 2013. She didn't get arrested this year but because she said to me, oh, I think I'm too old for that now. But she said it with a spunk that said, I'm 
you know, I don't need to. Everybody else is doing it too. I can rest a little bit. She used a walker to get into the building the first time she was arrested. Now she's 92. The next week I saw her and she did not have her walker. And I said, Miss Eaton, where's your walker? And she said, I don't need no walker. <laughs> and I said, but you had one last week. And she smiled and she said, that was for show. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. And I mean, at, at the rally on Monday, one of my photos shows this woman standing up, fanning another woman on stage. The woman standing up is Rosanelle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fanning well, another woman who's not 90 yet, but... Now, you we're know, going to have I a link. This. We're going to have a link to the Letters to the Left Facebook page. And all y'all need to like that page and uh, and go check out all these great photos. Now, your cover photo on Letters from the Left is you on stage that giving, a fiery, giving a fiery speech. I can tell. Yep. Who's, the, who's the doctor standing next to you in that photo? That's Charles Vanderhorst, who has just retired. I love Charlie. He is so wonderful. He's so passionate. This is a man who, uh, he was a professor at UNC Chapel Hill, a school of medicine. Um, he's a physician, and he's in his 60s. And when Ebola struck in Africa, he went to treat people because he said, you know, I've lived my life. If I die from Ebola, I've lived a good life. If I don't die from, from Ebola, I've helped people. There you go. And this is who he is, and he's a passionate, passionate advocate. Um, I, I just love him. He's such a wonderful human being. And there's a picture of him, um, Monday's album, too, standing there. He's always there if he's not in Africa or on vacation, but he's retired. He can do that. Well, that's that's an, a, an amazing human, too. There's a lot of them. We've got um, Tim Tyson, Professor Timothy Tyson. He's also, I think he's UNC Chapel Hill, author of Blood Done Sign My Name, which is just a harrowing account of a murder in the early 1970s in his little hometown in eastern North Carolina. His father, Vernon, is a preacher, and Vernon, who's in his 80s, was arrested with me in 2013, same, same night I was. Hmm. Just what a family, what a group of people. I mean, I, this movement gives me hope. And, you know, after my son's death, I didn't have a whole lot of that. Yeah. So, you know, they all know Mike. I carry his picture with me all the time. It's, all, it's in my purse. It's wherever. I've always got it. And at every rally, I bring it and I hold it up. And people know who he is, you know. Um, it's, he lives because of this. Well, so. I, I love it. I love it. I keep saying I need to get down there. I need to get down there. But I really. You can ride with me anytime. Girl, we're going to have to do it. I got I to go Let's down do a there. road trip. Let's I got to tell you one more thing, though, about my, um, my speech that I give. It's kind of a, a stump speech that I always give. And I like to tell people that if, you, if your support for human life ends at the end of the birth canal, you are not pro-life. If you are not for feeding children, for making sure everyone has a safe place to live, a decent job with a decent salary, and, and health care, you are not pro-life. If you say that it's okay that five to seven North Carolinians die every single day rather than expand Medicaid, you're not pro-life no matter what you say about abortion. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't like to hear that. It really shakes them up. Well, uh, that's and, why I'm and, here. It and it should, because <laughs> that's that what is, I do. completely ridiculous to, to try to make that case. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I mean, what do you think? Off. Okay, if it's not about that, what do you think it's about? It's about politics to them. That's all it's about is scoring points against the Democratic Party and against this president. Mm -hmm. And there is an element of racism in it. 
And whether, uh, they, whether they admit it or not. I, I'm not saying racism is the overwhelming reason for them to hate this president because they hated Clinton and he's white. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things I always say about it is, you know, the angle that I feel most keenly, I guess, from, from my perspective is it's not about caring about the lives of children. I think it's really about oppressing women. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Without question. Because if you can keep us pregnant and caring for small children, um, claiming that it's about the children, then it's your world. Right. The it's, problem it's, is, it's hard to fight when you're trying to feed your kids. Right. Women are, are a force to be reckoned with. I think for the most part, we are not going to be kept down anymore. I have a bumper sticker on my car that uh, people take pictures of it all the time. And it says, I can't believe I'm still fighting this crap. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I thought we won this. When I was when I was 18 years old and living in Massachusetts, it was illegal for a doctor to prescribe any kind of uh, contraception to a woman who wasn't married. And it mm -hmm. wasn't the woman who would get in trouble. It was the doctor. Right. Talk about paternalistic. And, and if the father says that, you know, a woman shouldn't be able to have an abortion if it's his child. And if you have to make a father take care of that child, how pro-life is he really? Yeah, exactly. And well, so. there's an awful lot of that. And that that cross that's not that's not a racial thing. That is uh, that's across all lines. The, the board. It's all of it. Yeah. And um, you know, if it is a racial thing, what we did to families in the name of welfare in the 1940s and 30s and 40s, if there was a father in the home, the woman and the children could not get government help. We chased fathers from the home. And the people who were the poorest were African-Americans. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't have opportunities. And so, you know, that, that policy chased fathers from the home. Yeah. So, so when we talk about African-Americans, people who talk about them having a culture of a father not being present, well, we did that. You know, we did that to them. Yeah. In, in chasing the, fathers away. Yeah. In the pursuit of some other ill-advised way to try to control people and, yeah. And, yeah. and we've just got to stop it you know yeah. and those in power don't want to give it up and those I, I think once you gain wealth it becomes a pathology these people could not possibly spend the money they have <laughs> but they want more and more and it's a pathology yeah they're definitely. sick people i definitely agree with you there because at, yeah at some point it really can't be about need and an appropriate sharing with your fellow human beings anymore it's about yeah. something something much darker much much darker it's a it's it's the attempt to create a permanent underclass where human life doesn't matter it's cheap where you know we have already um a system of slave wages i mean really you can't live on what you make well honestly leslie the one percent has always felt they should rule i mean throughout all of history so it's a battle oh, yeah. we fight we, we fight. I don't know that that battle will ever end. And, and maybe that's okay. But the thing is, we have to fight. We have to fight it because... Oh, I, I'm leaving the fight feet first, as they say. Yeah, girl, I hear that. <laughs> All right. Well, and, let, let's, you know, um, let's... It's, no, go ahead. Somebody called me the Cindy Sheehan of healthcare one time. And I was so proud um, to, to carry that because Cindy Sheehan is one of the bravest people I've ever encountered and she and i have she lives in california but she and i have become friends oh wow. and yeah she's just as tough as they come i love her 
guys should come on the show and let's talk about what she's been up to and what yeah. she's doing. Well, That'd be she's great. got a podcast as well. Does she? Cindy oh, Sheehan's, Cindy oh, Sheehan's Soapbox. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Oh, you should. I've been on it. Um, oh, sweet. And she's her, you know, she, when we talk about health care, she was against the Affordable Care Act because it didn't go far enough. I was mm. for it because at least it took a step. Well, her sister developed breast cancer. You would not believe the nightmare she has gone through yes, to I get would. the proper care. Yes, I would. It's yeah, I mean, awful. I fell I fell in love with her when she went and camped out at Bush's oh, Ranch. I know, I love it. Oh, that was awesome. That was so awesome. I know. She she just is very courageous, and and she's not going to back down. Well, no, I don't expect she will. No, well, listen, neither. listen. Let's uh, let's get to a couple of the things here before I let you go. Um, you're you're you got a book coming up, Life of Mike. I do. The book it's called Life of Mike, and it's the story of my um, son who was just this wild and silly jackass. That's how he was eulogized by his best friend, and everybody <laughs> applauded because he was a great practical joker. He had just this unconquerable sense of humor. He could even joke about his cancer. Um, when he vomited fecal matter, it became a running joke that he knew how crap tasted. And if somebody said something <laughs> tasted like crap, he would take a taste and say, oh, no, not at all. <laughs> so... You know, it's about him and his sense of humor, his struggle, his death, and my activism. And it ends with me speaking to 100,000 people wow. at um, HK on J in 2013. Wow. Well, I'm really looking forward to that, Leslie. It's going to be a great book. And, and when that comes out, you need to let me know so that we can get you back on and we can talk more about that specifically. Yeah. Now, I've got one more thing I want to talk to you about. Bernie Sanders. I love Bernie. <laughs> now you've you've met him and you've talked yep. to him and he's yep. listened to you and uh, and you've had the opportunity to talk to him about your concerns about government. Um, yes. What? How did that go? What do you have to say to you about all that? Well, the first time I met him, I had been doing memorial services where I chimed at Tibetan Bowl every twelve minutes to just kind of bring people to that reality that people are dying once every 12 minutes. Oh. That was before the Affordable Care Act was passed. Mm -hmm. And I was invited by the National Council of Churches to do that in Washington. And we held this memorial service outside the Senate office building. And Bernie Sanders came out to hear us mm -hmm. and to speak. And after I spoke, he came over and hugged me and said, I'm working on this, I promise. Wow. Wow. And the second time I met him was this year, earlier this year in Raleigh, where I handed him Mike's picture, told him how Mike had died. And of course, he didn't remember me. I didn't expect him to. But again, um, after he finished speaking, he came down and hugged me and said, I'm working on this. We will work on this. We will get to this. And uh, we will get awesome. to the place where people can get health care. Well, I just want to let everybody know right now on lettersfromtheleft.com, you can see Leslie's article called Why Bernie and read up on why she thinks he needs to be the next president of the United States. I happen to agree with you. I know uh, a lot of people are Hillary fans, and I'm just very honest when I say that that I, I know that Hillary has a lot of really great qualities and uh, she's got some she's on the right side of a lot of issues. But honestly, the amount of corporate money that she takes and her history with corporations, especially mm. ones that have done a lot of damage to the planet, 
I'm, I'm skeptical about it. And, and really what I feel like is we need more of a change than that. We need to yeah. move a little bit further away from the status quo than, than Hillary. And, uh, you know, I appreciate I her service. You. I, you know, I think if Hillary's the nominee, I will vote for her. Oh, my God, yeah. Who else I'm would you vote for? Bernie. You sure as hell aren't going to vote for anybody that has GOP or R behind their name. Oh, oh no. my God. This whole thing with Donald Trump, oh, being, I, that can't last. It's, I mean, ma- it's all making it's making a mockery of our democracy or I even the whole freaking idea of democracy. And yeah. if you're all about the founding fathers, you should be embarrassed if you vote for Donald freaking Trump. I, I agree with you. I think oh, my God. Just, don't even get me started on that. He's a petulant, spoiled toddler. Ugh, he's disgusting. Yes, yes. And, as are uh, the rest on, on of the GOP, being, Phil. You know, disgusting. His, his whole attitude is, you know, that of a petulant two-year-old in need of a nap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nobody get you back. All right. Well, let's cover it up. Let's, let's finish this up and cover now. We've got, yeah. uh, you're the founder and president of Western North Carolina Health Advocates. Tell me the address for that again. It's www.wnchealthadvocates.org. Okay. And you're blogging at lettersfromtheleft.com. Right. And letters, plural, lettersfromtheleft.com. And we need to get everybody over to your Facebook, Letters from the Left, and like that up. And WNC Health Advocates and like that up. Okay, good. And you can even like me if you want. You don't have to. Leslie Boyd. Well, I like you, Leslie. I know. Well, we're going to have that link, too. We'll put that link in the show notes as well. And uh, I really have enjoyed our conversation. It's always good to talk to you and catch up with you. And I promise you, one day, one Moral Monday this summer, I am going to set the time aside and we are going to get together and we are going to ride down to Raleigh and you are going to turn turn me on to Moral Monday in Raleigh, North Carolina. But, But thank you, Leslie. I appreciate your time, girl, and I will talk to you again soon. Well, thanks so much. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. hope you enjoyed my conversation with the amazing Leslie Boyd from WNC Health Advocates. And a reminder, this is episode five of my new five show seasons. So I'll be having episodes five through 10 in replay for you coming up next Tuesday. So if you missed any of those or you just want to enjoy them again, tune in next week, Tuesday at 1030 p.m. Eastern for the replays of the second season of Inside Indie Media Weekly. And over the next five weeks, I'm going to be working to develop some really awesome new programming for this station with some wonderful people. And of course, as promised, we've got more music from Meter Bridge, Jill and Richard. And be sure and look for them on an upcoming episode of The Spoken Doorway with Michael Ash Sharbaugh coming your way in the next few weeks. Looking forward to that. So this is Coming Up for Air, and you can find it on the slow motion album at meterbridge.bandcamp.com and it's a tribute to Peter Green from the original Fleetwood Mac. Pick up their album and support some great indie music, Meter Bridge. Find them on SoundCloud too. So we'll see you next time on Inside Indie Media Weekly.
the back of your conquests The right cards in your hand Control all the rejects How alone you stand I talk, you walk, and that's where it ends I talk, you walk, and that's where it ends On the edge of all reason Back of all reason 